0: Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, take them with me this morning in our next chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 13 is where we find ourselves this morning. And this topic is going to be a fun one um, as we jump into this election time of the year. But Romans chapter 13 is where we find ourselves this morning. As many of you know, the Apostle Paul wrote this book to speak about the subject of the gospel. And uh, it is obviously the most important thing that man could could ever have. Matter of fact, the, the term gospel means good news, as we talk about. And as you know that with anything in this life, when you have good news, it means you have to have bad news, right? The bad news is that man is helpless. Man is utterly and completely helpless when it comes to this sin and the restoration of our relationship with God. The very reason for man's existence is for the honor and glory of God. But God saw fit to create man and God's intention is to have a personal intimate relationship with man. But sin forfeits that. And that's been our theme this entire year is sin forfeits man's relationship with God. It is a violation against the nature and character of God. The Bible says that man is totally depraved. In other words, man is completely infected by sin and there is nothing that we can do within our own strength that will cure our infection of sin. There's nothing we can do about that. Outside of our help from God, we broke God's moral law. Therefore, we are declared guilty. And with every action comes a consequence. In our case, since man broke God's moral law, man deserves the consequence of hell and eternal separation from God. That is what we all deserve. The only way that the consequence can be devoided is if man is justified. But again, man can do nothing outside of that. Man must be reconciled in order to be declared innocent, but man is hopeless on his own because man is completely sinful. Enter in Jesus Christ. God sent His Son, as we know, to the earth to be that perfect sacrifice for us, and it is only through Jesus Christ that we can be made justified. The good news is the gospel. i me explain it this way. Last December, I was in the car with my, um, I think it was just Kaysen, and, Kaysen and, and TJ was in the front seat, and we were driving in front of the McDougal Middle School over there, uh, I think that's still technically Carborough, and as we were making our way in front of the McDougal Middle School on a Saturday to set up the sign for Christmas over at the Smith Middle School and we were still meeting there, uh, I don't usually drive fast, but I was not paying attention. And as I was driving, a police officer came up behind me. Um, Nice, nice police officer pulled me over and gave me what I deserved, and that was a speeding ticket. I was completely in the wrong. No no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But I was not declared officially guilty until my court date. And I had a court date this past year, and it was at that moment that the judge officially declared me guilty. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if it was because of COVID. I don't know if there's a lot of things going on in my life. I forgot to pay the ticket. Just forgot to pay it. I received the letter in the mail because they didn't forget. (laughs) And they said, if you do not pay this, and as a police officer sitting in here today, we're all good, okay? Uh, (laughs) And so with that being said, I paid that ticket, but if I didn't, the letter said your license would be suspended you have to pay this ticket or you will not be able to drive. And I was like, okay, I got the message. went down to the courthouse this past, uh, this past Wednesday, Orange County Courthouse, went up to the clerk of court, and they said, here is your ticket. I took out my card and I paid it in full. Now I am no longer declared guilty. It's still in my record. Is it still in my record? It is. But at least I'm, I'm in the clear for, for a little while. The difference between that and us is that with our sin, it doesn't go away. Our relationship, the severance of our relationship because of our sin doesn't go away, even though we want it to. No matter what we try to do on our own, the difference between what I did and our sinful state is I was able to pay it out of my own monetary means. When it comes to our salvation, we can't do anything about it. But it's not until Jesus Christ came and He died on the cross for us and we place our faith and trust in Christ can we be declared innocent. But it's only through Him. And that is the gospel. And that is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. The entire book of Romans is focused on delivering this message of good news. We are currently within this fifth section here, Romans chapter 12 to the middle of chapter 15. And what he's doing here, the Apostle Paul, is he's giving us practical implications of the gospel. How should we, practically speaking, live as a Christian? And we find ourselves here in Romans chapter 13, which is oftentimes avoided... Because it talks about, more or less, politics and the government. There is no doubt that Paul consistently teaches that a Christian must submit to the different authorities that God has sovereignly placed in his life, on our lives. This goes for bosses, it goes for coaches, family members, as well as government officials. If one was to do an honest study of Scripture, they would clearly see that God gives no room for ill treatment towards authority, specifically when it comes to respect and obedience. We don't like hearing that, especially when, when our opposite uh, person is, that we voted for is in office. But the Bible gives no if ands, or buts regarding that. The only exemption for not obeying the commands or the mandates of our civil authorities is when it directly goes against the word of God. That's the only time that we have an exception regarding that. We see this example occur in Acts chapter 5. At that particular time here, we see that the church was becoming more and more prominent. We see the apostle Peter and the other apostles spreading the gospel. They were already commanded to not share the gospel. And of course, they disobeyed that because they were obeying God. And as they stand before the council there, the high priest says to them, he says, what are you doing? Didn't we command you not to preach the name of Jesus? Peter's response in Acts chapter 5, verse 29 was both respectful and firm. He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. This is the only exemption that is given in Scripture when it comes to not obeying our civil authorities. But notice how he responds. He didn't do it in a disrespectful way. He didn't berate them. He didn't go on a social media account and post about how bad they were. He just says, it is better for me to obey God than it is for me to obey man. When it comes to Paul, Paul was one of the most persecuted men in all of Scripture. But all throughout the book of Acts, there was only one time, one time in which Paul lashed out to an authority figure. When Paul does so, though, he in essence apologizes for it. In Acts chapter 23, Paul is standing before the council after being arrested for his missionary work. He says in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, he gives an outstanding support for his work. He says, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Overcome with the emotion of this wonderful response, Ananias the high priest struck Paul in the mouth. He was a civil authority in that particular region. He slapped him on the mouth. Paul, shocked by this irrational display of emotion, then responds back in Acts chapter 23, verse 3. He says, God shall smite you, thou whited wall, for thou sittest to judge me after the law and commandest me to be spitten contrary to the law. For a moment in that particular time, Paul forgot who he truly was. He allowed his Christian identity to override his Christian testimony. And in essence, Paul allowed his position of being called an apostle to override his position as far as being a civilian underneath that civil authority. Well, it didn't take long for the people watching to call Paul out. They say in Acts chapter 23, verse 4, and they stood by, said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Let this be a reminder to you as a Christian. Whenever you respond poorly, the world will always take note of it. And a majority of the time, they will call you out on it. Because they know you're a Christian. You should be living for for greater things than that. And the same thing was happening here with Paul. Well, Paul understood that the emotions got the best of him. He understood that he disrespected God's ordained authority. He responds in Acts chapter 23, verse 5 with an acknowledgement of his wrongdoing. In essence, Paul says, I did not know that he was a high priest. I did not know that he was a high priest. But then he doesn't try to make an excuse for it. He then quotes the Mosaic Law, which is found in Exodus chapter 22, verse 28. It says, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. In essence, his poor response, he apologized for it. He says, I, I didn't know that that was a civil authority. I would have never responded that way. Because I know that I'm supposed to show respect. What did that civil authority do to Paul? He slapped him in the mouth. We don't want to receive that. But he says, listen, I, I should have been more respectful in my response to that civil authority. On Wednesday, November 4th of this year, a good portion of Americans will wake up distraught and others will wake up elated. Those that have their particular candidate elected for president will experience a sense of joy and relief, and many of those that do not have their particular candidate elected will experience a sense of distraught and despair. But the question for you, Christian, is this. How will you respond on November 4th if your particular candidate is not elected? How will you respond on November 4th if your particular candidate is not elected? How will the reality of our next president affect your behavior, your testimony, and your treatment towards that authority? Now, don't get me wrong. I am praying that God's candidate, regardless of their personality or their personal qualities, would be one that would support and uphold biblical principles. As I told people before, when voting for a president, we are voting for a leader that would steer our country towards godly principles and values. We are not voting for a pastor. So keep that in mind. I am praying for a candidate that views life Beginning at conception, and therefore passes laws that would ban abortion and open up more opportunities for pregnant women who are struggling and have the necessary resources to have a safe and healthy birth. I am praying for a candidate, regardless of what party they're in, that would hold to the biblical definition of marriage marriage being between a man and a woman that would pass laws that would support the biblical view of marriage. I am praying for a candidate that loves and supports God's chosen nation of Israel, and so in that prayer, I will do my civil duties as an American citizen and I will vote for the president presidential candidate that supports biblical values once again, regardless of their political party. I will vote for that candidate. But what will I do if that candidate that does not hold the biblical principles ends up becoming president on November 4th, officially in January? As we move into Romans chapter 13, what Paul does is he continues to focus on this practical implication of the gospel. And I'm going to preach something that is We don't want to hear in our rebellious nature. But keep in mind, it's not my words, it's God's. And honestly, this message was a conviction for me, as every message should be, regarding our treatment of the government. So if you could stand with me at a respect of God's word, we're going to read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. For he is the minister of God, a revenge to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Remember, therefore, to all their dues, render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. This morning, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you that you would disarm yourself of any preconceived notions regarding our political system. Set aside any kind of emotion that you have towards the presidential candidates that are running, towards President Trump, towards our governor, towards those civil authorities that are over you in your life. Set that aside and let the Word of God speak to you this morning. We're going to talk about what Paul tells us as far as Christians and how we should respond to our civil authorities. The title of the message this morning is The Christian's Responsibility to the Government. Thank you. You may be seated. The Christians' responsibility to the government. One of the most beautiful things about our church is that even though we are smaller, we have several different nationalities represented here. We have people from Brazil. We have people from Damascus, uh, Syria. We have people from um, Myanmar. We have multiple, multiple different cultures represented here. And it's always fast. (coughs) Excuse me. Can you give me some water? I don't know what happened there. Yeah, thank you. I'm getting choked up. (coughs) Um, It is always fascinating to me to see the opinion of those that have moved here from another country. What do you think about our political system? Actually, I was talking to Khalil a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night, and he's, he's reminiscing about all these political ads he's seen recently and he's like I'm sick and tired of seeing ads about how the other person is bad tell me what you're going to do for our country I was like that's an interesting point Khalil I don't know why they don't make more of those because that doesn't sell here in the United States and so with that being said the principles that he gives here doesn't just apply to Americans it applies to anyone living underneath the civil authority which is everybody in every single country In every country. In verses 1 through 7, the Apostle Paul gives us three reasons why we must submit when it comes to the Christian's relationship to the government. Here's the first thing he says here. We must submit because the government is a God-ordained authority. We must submit because the government is a God-ordained authority. Look at verse 1. He says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. The word subject there comes from the Greek word that is used to describe a soldier's absolute obedience to their superior office i apologize there is literally something in my throat that is preventing me from talking there we go we have individuals in our church that have both served in the military and currently serve in the military i guarantee you for example we got we've got ethan here I guarantee you, Ethan, that if you were to go up to your commanding officer and he was to give you a command and you said, Nah, I don't agree with that command. I'm not going to do that. It's not going to work out well for you, will it? Every single person is subject to a higher authority. The word there for the Greek word is talking about that subjection that a lower-ranking officer has within the military to a higher-ranking officer. No matter what command they give, they're going to do it. They better do it or it's not going to work out well for them. The word higher powers, of course, is in reference to civil authorities this is anyone that is in a government leadership position this is not a based upon their character or their competence but their position the bible says in 1 timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 2 i exhort you therefore first of all supplications prayers intercessions giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty There is no stipulation of our obedience based upon the character and the competence of our civil authority. There's no stipulation in that. If they're elected president, if they're elected governor, we obey them. We answer to them. Currently, we are all subject to President Donald Trump. To break it down even more, since we live in the state of North Carolina, we are subject to the mandates of Governor Roy Cooper. Therefore, if we were to follow the commands of God, We are to submit to the mandates and the leadership of Governor Roy Cooper and President Donald Trump, both from a state level and from a federal level, no matter how much we disagree with their values. We we just have to talk about God's Word here. Unless they are specifically telling us to go against the Word of God, we have to submit to them. I'm going to give you an example. The face mask mandate. On October, uh, August 3rd of this year, the governor required the use of face coverings or masks for the entire state of North Carolina. The mandate required that people must wear face coverings when in public areas, indoor or outdoor, where physical distancing of six feet from other people who are not members of the same household or residence is not possible. That's a mandate that was given to us by the governor. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like it. I don't like that mandate. I understand the reasoning for it, but I personally don't like walking around with a face mask on. And there have been times where I haven't followed that, not out of rebellion, because honestly, I just didn't think about it. I should be wearing a face mask now. But if you were to take this according to the Word of God, as Christians, we need to follow that mandate, even though we don't agree with it. If the governor is telling us to do something and it is a mandate that's given to us according to the word of God, and obviously the face mask thing isn't going against, it's not a violation of God's word, we need to follow that as a Christian. That's where our flesh doesn't like it. We fight against that. If we were to take that mandate, we ought to follow it. These are not my words, they're God's. Why? Why? Here's the reason. For there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. This is where we're really going to get down to it. At the end of verse 1, Paul makes it clear that while there are earthly authorities, the ultimate authority is God. The Bible consistently views God as being the ultimate authority over human government. Daniel chapter 4 verse 17 says so. So if you were to follow that logic, then God being the ultimate authority uses his authority to place men and women and human government to enforce the law to the people. This is what Paul says when he states, there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained, in other words, ordered by God. So why do we obey our civil authorities? Because the high ultimate authority ordains civil human authorities to rule over man. And ultimately those that are in office have been ordained by God to be there even if they don't hold to biblical values. If we decide not to obey human civil authorities out of an inconvenience or disagreement, we might want to think twice, because look at verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. What? you kidding me? Like I, you're telling me that if I don't follow through because I don't agree with what he's saying in this particular mandate, that I am actually resisting the ordinance of God? It's what Paul says. He continues, it says, they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Paul makes it very clear that when we decide to resist the civil authorities, since the civil authorities are ultimately ordered by God, we are in essence resisting the authority of God. Now that term damnation there is not talking about hell. It's not talking about if we resist civil authorities that we lose their salvation here. The word damnation used within that particular this particular context is talking about the government punishing us because we break the law if you decide to skip out on your taxes because you feel as if your money would be better used and invested by yourself than the government then guess what you're going to be thinking about that in the midst of a jail cell for a few years it's just the facts you don't skip out on your taxes it's breaking the law so when it comes to the christian responsibility to the government the first thing we must keep in mind is that we submit to the government because the government no matter how sinful it is is a god-ordained authority The next thing we have to keep in mind, number two. We submit because the government is authorized by God to protect good. Look at verse 3. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Here is the facts. Even the most corrupt and wicked governments is a deterrent to evil and crime. Someone once said, The most basic responsibility of government is to do justice by promoting good and punishing evil. At this particular time of Paul's writing... Nero was the king. I talked about him multiple times. Nero being one of the most wicked, cruellest, bloodthirsty rulers of all time. And the Apostle Paul says that he is not a terror to good works, but to evil. The government of the, the government that was ordained by God was there, is there to protect good and promote evil, but it's corrupt. It's sinful. So there are going to be times where things happen that that are not exactly pure. But it's still there to protect good and to deter evil. He continues on in verse 3. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. In essence, Paul says to do good, obey the law, and you won't have a problem. This is why we need civil authority to protect the people by administering the law. This is why the whole idea of removing police officers is, is ludicrous. It will not work. Because mankind and their own hearts is deceitful. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 12, it says, there is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices and we will everyone do the imagination of his own heart. In other words, if you do not have law and police officers there and civil authorities there to enforce that law, then you leave every single person out there to defend for themselves. Well, guess what? My heart's wicked. Your heart's wicked. We're going to start determining now what is right and what isn't right. And who says this it's wrong? There's no authority there to enforce that. The government is there to enforce the law. It it is is literally an ordained institution of God. Paul further expounds upon this principle in verse 4. He says, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. The government is literally established by God to deliver punishment for evil and to promote that which is good. So yes, Technically speaking, President Donald Trump and Governor Roy Cooper are two individuals that are completely different political spectrums, are both there, ordained by God, to promote good and to deter evil. That's why they're there. So what do we do? We submit. We submit. If we choose not to obey the government, again, unless they're telling us to do something that goes against our obedience to God, then God has given the government the authority to punish us. Paul continues in verse four. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. The word or the phrase there to bear the sword is in reference to the governors or government's ability to inflict punishment on evildoers. We understand that the ultimate punishment being capital punishment, God institutes this in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. He says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for the image of God made he man. So taking these verses into consideration, Paul summarizes the motivation that we have to obey the civil authorities in verse 5. He says, Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Paul says, let's think about this logically. If the government is an ordained institution by God and God sovereignly allowed those elected officials to be placed in the position that they're in, then you choosing to disobey them if they give a command that does not violate the word of God is in essence disobeying God. The authority that God has placed in your life. So therefore, don't do it. Not only because you'll receive the punishment of breaking the law, but also don't do it because for conscience sake because you're disobeying God. Once again, our rebellious nature does not want to hear that. And I'm, I'm in that same category. It's tough to be able to follow through with every little mandate that they give, but we have so much to be thankful for compared to other countries. Imagine reading this in, another, in a communist country. Imagine reading this. And some of you have been there. I bet you they'll take that a little bit differently. Here's the final point here. We submit because it's a command from God. We submit because it's a command from God. In the previous verses, Paul addresses our obedience to the government by obeying the laws. In verses 6 and 7, Paul addresses the Christian's responsibility by obeying the commands of, of, of God by showing that by paying the taxes. Ultimately, we submit by both obedience and paying taxes because it is a command from God. Here's a practical way. Paying taxes is a practical way of recognizing that God ordained authority over us. You may not agree with a politician, and so therefore you don't want to give your money to it. But guess what? We don't have a choice. Not only because it's a law, but because God commands to pay your taxes. In verse six, it says, "For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing." We don't pay taxes because we want to support the politician in office because we agree with his specific political values. We ultimately pay taxes because it's a command from God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter twenty-two, verses seventeen through twenty-one, the. um, pharisees are trying to trip up jesus christ and jesus christ basically says what what is on that coin and they give it to him it's a picture of caesar jesus then says pay caesar what is owed to caesar and pay to god what is owed to god jesus himself commands us while he was here on earth to pay your taxes think about the government that was ruling over jesus christ during that particular time it was a pagan roman government he says pay their taxes pay their taxes That is an institution ordained by God. And then he sets that example in Matthew chapter 17 by Jesus Christ actually paying the temple tax. He paid it himself. In verse 7, Paul says, Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due. The word render translated from the Greek word that signifies a payment of something that is owed. This is not a voluntary contribution. It's a command. Render to them. Give to them what is owed. And as we close out, we see the final two phrases here are some of the toughest phrases that we have when it comes to applying this. We can all agree at the end of the day, I can pay my taxes. I don't agree with the politicians that are in there, but I'll pay it. Okay, it's done. Matter of fact, this past year pained me to pay my taxes. The first time in our tax history, I owed the government a good sum of money. And I I shouldn't say gladly. I willingly paid it and obediently paid it. Because that's a command from God. And I wanted to be able to spend the rest of my life with my family. So I paid that. But at the end of verse 7, Paul says, Don't only pay your taxes. I want you to read it with me. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. God demands that we not only obey our civil authorities, but that we show sincere respect, as well as an attitude of genuine high esteem for our civil authorities. This is why Christians should never engage in tearing down our elected officials. This is why Christians, even though they don't agree with their values in politics, it gives us no right to disrespect our authority. So then what do we do? We pray for them. We model godly behavior by following the commands to obey the government, no matter how inconvenient it may be. And we never dishonor those that are in authority because ultimately they are ordained by